Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital... This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. This is the 276th episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White. If you're a new subscriber to the podcast, I'm a stay-at-home dad in Northern Virginia, take care of my kid during the day, and I do fishing excursions to teach others how to fly fish when I'm not watching my kid. She is currently at the neighborhood pool doing swim conditioning, so I've got about 40 minutes to crank this out. Luckily, on my way back, I did not bump into any bears. We do have residential bears now in suburban Northern Virginia. So this podcast is not about exotic locations and chasing rare species in far-off lands. What this podcast is, is me trying to find the best places to fish in a short amount of time while I'm on a trip with my family. It's not a fishing destination trip, it's a family vacation where I bring fishing gear. So this is to help prepare others who might be going to the Wrightsville, North Carolina Beach area. I'm going to discuss where to fish, when to fish, what to pack, where to eat, how to learn from my mistakes, etc. I do the hard work so you don't have to. Wrightsville is a very, very family-friendly place. If you're new to this podcast, again, I'm not a beach person. I grew up going to a private beach in Florida. Been in the Jersey Shore a couple times. I've been to LA. I've been to Malibu. I've gone to Panama City, Florida for spring break, which was awful. Been to a couple other beaches here and there. None of them are really fishing destinations, but I bring the gear. So I'm not much of a beach person, but this is what I found. It had a very laid back vibe. It was like a Saturday, seven days a week. And there's not much there other than a few stores, the beach, and two piers. It is a non-touristy location, and I understand now why Alan Kane decides to live down here. It is a completely different lifestyle than Northern Virginia. Also want to have a reminder before I start telling you about Wrightsville 
that the best way to contact me is always going to be via email through my website, rob at robsnowwhite.com, only one W in Snow White. As social media contacts don't always show up when they're supposed to. I might all of a sudden get a new message in Instagram and it says there's six or seven requests that I have not answered. Same thing with Facebook. So if you do not want to get a delay in me replying to you, hit me up on email. I also want to thank John Robinette for suggesting places to eat in Wrightsville area. He contacted me over Instagram and of course, like I said, I didn't see it till it was too late. So I will tell you about our places. Talk about our trip to the beach. We stayed on East Henderson near the first fishing pier. It is a long island, maybe three or four miles long. It's connected with two roads, and it has what we'll consider a northern end and a southern end. Consider it shaped like a surfboard. So I'm going to talk about the north end, the south end. We're sort of dead set in the middle. So COVID was a big issue. Sunday, when we arrived, was crazy busy. More people were wearing masks and being protected of a deadly virus pandemic that's going around on that day than others. Uh, No one was really seriously wearing masks. You'd see a couple people on the beach, a couple people in line for food at restaurants. Those were you saw people being precautious, but out on the piers and walking around, not as much. There were even restaurants that were completely packed inside. We, however, did take out. There was limited outdoor seating, which was also packed. You couldn't use cash anywhere. And my packing list, which I'll have later, did not include any clothing for going out. There were no collared shirts. There were no loafers or any kind of nice clothing. No khaki shorts. No button-down shirts. There was no hair product packed in case we were going to go to somewhere where I would not be wearing a hat. So here is my short packing list. Pretty much all of this fit into my $3 gear bag from the thrift store, my Orvis travel rod box, and my Patagonia small duffel bag. This included, my list included flats boots, socks to wear in flats boots, a stripping basket, three eight-weight rods, an Orvis DXR reel, a hatch seven plus, my pliers, my gear bag, and my yellow Costas. My tying kit, and and with that clothing, I just brought shorts, bathing suit, one pair of long pants, Patagonia sun shirts, and a couple of t-shirts, and that was it. My tying kit to travel included hooks, eyes, dumbbells, solares, bucktail, variety of flash, rubber legs, pearl cord, schlap and saddle hackle, my vice, variety of tools, and clear and white thread. My shopping list down there was for grits, local bacon, a new Yeti cup, since my wife gave my Yeti Rambler to my mother-in-law without really asking, and she's probably not even used it since it was given to her. And on the return trip to stop at Greentop and pick up some ostrich plume for damsels. The drive down was beyond crazy easy. It took us two hours and 15 minutes to cross into North Carolina. There was no traffic. We left at 7 a.m. on and got there a little afternoon on Sunday. Sometimes it'll take three to four hours to get to Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is only 40 miles south. So for two and a half hours to cross out of the Commonwealth was absolutely insane. Wilmington itself, which is the major city, we know this from the Alan Kane podcast, is... I consider a small town. We drove around it. It was empty. 
the bars and the waterfront area were completely abandoned. And there were these amazing Victorian houses along the streets in every color you can imagine with huge gardens. Would have liked to have stopped and walked around. If I had my DSLR, I would have taken some cool photographs, but we were just driving around in the car. It was kind of hot down there and we were waiting to pick up a pizza. More on that later. So what I did forget to bring with me were sink tips instead of a full sink line, something just a little easier to roll cast. A stripping basket, I did bring it, didn't really need it, but I had it there just in case. Smaller hooks would have been key. I would have been very happy with a size 10 heavyweighted nymph hook or a size 10 dry fly hook. When I used to fish the Kent Narrows at night, I would tie my schoolie flies on size 10 and 12 streamer hooks or nymph hooks. Because sometimes you need little bait, not big clousers and half and halves, which is what I packed. I would have brought some white marabou with me. I would have brought a white spaghetti strainer to sift the stuff at the beach for shark teeth or just brought a wooden box with a screen across it and buckets for dunking feet when we go in our tent. Luckily, we had one for dunking our feet when we went into our Airbnb. The Airbnb was relatively small. It said it slept five. The women both took the small beds, so I was stuck on the sofa, which my legs hung over. We had window units for air conditioning, so it was loud, it was cold, and after fishing and walking all day in the sun and eating well, I crashed pretty hard early each night. I think our lights out were before 10 o'clock every night on vacation. The places to eat, in no particular order, the beach bagels were great. I judge a everything bagel if you can't tell the top or the bottom. Benny's Pizza, which is owned by Vivian Howard, we mentioned her on the last podcast with Alan Kane, that she has the chef and the farmer and the TV show. And the pizza there was some of the best I've ever had. I want to suggest you get the Tony, which is small slices of spicy pepperoni on a wood fire baked pizza. They're not inexpensive, but they are well worth it. And then the other one we had was the Kevin McAllister, which had spicy honey on it. I guess spicy honey is a thing down there. The Burrito Barn, I believe it's Amy's Burrito Barn. I absolutely housed a burrito from there after a day of hiking, walking, and looking for fish. I had a side of battered fried avocado slices in my burrito. That was awesome. Stopped at Harris Teeter just to get some grits. I did not find the North Carolina grits I was looking for, the yellow bag from Greensboro. But that was our stop to get water. There was a lot of chlorine in the water we were staying in. The kid, first world problems, didn't like the smell of it. So we ended up buying a giant three-gallon jug of water. But Harris Teeter was for provisions. JT's, fantastic sandwiches. That may be one of the best sandwiches I've had in a long time. Just a perfect stack of ingredients, the right size. And they had free refills of club soda. Kohl's, like the grocery store, that is on Riceville Beach. You want to go there for custard. I got the peanut butter one that had all sorts of peanut butter and chocolate and vanilla. And it was hot out and it was a solid dessert. The trolley stop, if you want chili dogs, we're having chili dogs after swim practice. And we stopped at Wrightsville Brewing, which had a great burger. They really do tater tots well. And their ales, I did the Piney IPA and then a West Coast uh, Citra Hops one and those were also very nice we sat on the 
back patio at Wrightsville Brewing and had the entire place to ourselves, which was nice, except our kid just behaved horrendously. The beaches themselves, and again, I'm not a big beach person. I don't seek out going to beaches, but the sand was very fine. And I don't like sand because it gets into absolutely everything. The sand was very fine. And on the northern and southern ends of the island, very white and light colored. The water there was turquoise. You would think you were in the Florida Keys at some points. Seven foot visibility, turquoise, white sand. You can see things moving around in the water. Going in was awesome. There were no uh, sharks or anything that you might be scared of. There were people up and down the beach all day, every day, even at night. There were people out there in the dark. The wind picked up around noon, so putting a tent up anytime after 12 was a bad idea. Around 1 o'clock, the wind was absolutely howling. The tent was trying to blow away at all times, so we had to have someone inside of it, regardless of having stakes and weighted bags inside. There were these things that looked like just a sunshade that flapped in the wind connected to a tent pole. And at first, I thought, wow, that's just really loud flapping in the wind, but... It wasn't going to blow away like our tent. We really had a couple times we had to get out of the tent and readjust it, which was not cool. And then, of course, we finally got a bucket towards the end from the house that we could dip our feet in so we didn't bring sand into the tent because that sun was just glaring and hot. And there was only the last day there were clouds to drop the temperature. So a sunshade with that flappy thing, I would go with over a beach tent next time. The north end of the island had tide pools and more fishy spots and when the tide went out it was a giant hard rippled ground of white sand and tide pools i'll get more into those later the south end has a bird sanctuary where you can go and look at nesting birds there's also a coast guard station down there and the jetty and i did find a couple shark teeth so fishing what do you need to know about going here and fishing well we picked the wrong time of the year it's not really the best destination to fish DIY off the beach. You really do need a boat. Fish are creatures of habit. If you know where they're going to be, they're going to be there. They should be there. Anywhere in the world, fish are the same. They have three things on their mind. Eat, don't get eaten, make other fish. So they're going to be in places where they can feed. They're going to be in places where they're not going to get eaten. And if they don't get eaten and they're well fed, they are going to be healthy enough to reproduce. So you need to find places that are dark. That could be shade or at nighttime. This includes under bridges, shadows under bridges and docks and overpasses, structure, docks, pilings, piers, jetties, buoys, whatever small fish will hang out around to protect themselves will bring in other fish to eat them and other fish to eat those. Additionally, fish are going to be in currents where food is going to come to them. The south end of the island had the best current. I couldn't find any fish. And there were small, glassy bait fish everywhere. That seemed to be what everything was eating. Itty-bitty stuff. I showed up with my Cape Cod flies. Yeah, that was not going to happen. I ended up having to tie on some of the smallest flies and going through my tying kit looking for spilled trout flies that may just be on the bottom. But I couldn't find anything smaller enough. So the top of the island has tide pools. You want to be there on the outgoing tide. When the tide drops, up on the beach there are tide pools, and they drain. So you can go into one, 
and someone can be in the one below you and each have your own small hot tub basically two feet deep 90 plus degree water super salty you can sit at that and float and i sat in a couple with a cold beer after walking for two hours and it was awesome that was one of my favorite parts and we discovered this on the last afternoon there are channels up and down the top end of the island you've got a very fast current that separates I guess it's Big's channel from the next island up, which is Topsail. I should be looking at a map. So you have a very strong rushing current going out of there and a high beach. So if you've got sinking lines, you can definitely swing and overhand cast into there and target fish. However, everyone said the water was just too hot that week in July. And that water was very, very hot. You would not really cool off by going into the water. There were additionally flats. By the time we got up there, the flats were all drained except for a couple small pools. Nothing big was in them except crabs and some small bait fish. And we just hung out in these pools and just kind of floated around at them and let the wind and current just blow us around. Additionally, there were more fishy spots walking up from the Johnny Mercer Pier to the top of the island than they were on the way down. There were more depressions where water would come up over the break the splash and crash zone and then there was a a nice little lagoon where fish were hanging out i was only able to sight cast to a stingray in there with no luck it's probably the only real big fish i saw walking up but it was very fishy and i imagine if you go back at any other time of the year these holes would have a lot of fish in them there were stretches of 100 yards walking up to the top of the island where we were the only people and there was no one in the water. So definitely places where you could run down the man, just go up and down the beach looking for stuff and sight cast. However, I didn't see anything except that. So if you're gonna go fishing, I would say a sink tip or a floating line with a heavier fly on the top of the island, you're gonna have the fishery walking up, which is those deep pools and then you're going to have the channel and the flats and pools and the lagoons at the top. The bottom of the island had two sides. The upstream side, or the northern end of the jetty, was crystal clear, turquoise water, white sandy flats. At low tide, it was all four feet deep. Nothing was there. The downstream side of the jetty, the southern end, the water was darker. It looked like darker water coming out of Banks Channel. And that is where I found all of my fish. The best current looking water area was on the southwest side of the island where there's a red channel marker buoy plenty of room to back cast except when a woman walks behind you is not paying attention i turned around just as a woman walked into my casting area and i dropped my rod tip and she walked right into my leader and my little fly just hung just like right on her little cheek wasn't embedded it was just kind of on her face. Just the gravity of the leader was keeping it on. If it was just on her face, it would have fallen off. Her husband or boyfriend probably would not have let me get a picture with her. And I definitely would not have put my rod over the shoulder. But that was the only big thing I hooked in, in the face or mouth the entire time. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. 
I was watching where I was going. It was early morning, just after sunrise, and there was no one really there. So I didn't have to look enough. But the one time I didn't look hard enough, I, I got a woman on the back cast. So you have the water moving out of Banks Channel, and then it meets the ocean currents, and you got this dark water meets light water with riffles, riffly moving fast current. That's where your bait's going to hang out, eating what gets sucked down, and the bigger fish. My goal of this trip was to catch a member of the tuna family, a scombrid from the shore. Ideally, that was supposed to be a Spanish mackerel. That would have been the spot. People using bait, cut shrimp, squid, sand crabs, etc., but around me in that area, we're not catching anything. So I didn't feel bad that with a fly, I wasn't catching anything. Bridges over banks. So you have two bridges going over banks channel with a little bit of room on either side to cast a line. I imagine there should have been fish there. I saw a rather large, what did I see? It wasn't Atlantic spade fish. I did see a large fish chomping on stuff on one of the walls on the Northern Island, the walking road. Maybe it was a sheep's head. And then while I was there about 8.30 in the morning, a guy caught a small shark 20 feet away from me on his private pier using bait. So there's going to be currents moving through the Banks Channel. You got overpasses. Find those at dark. That's when a lot of people were showing up with bait and tackle to catch fish at night. Nobody caught anything other than pinfish that I saw. The flies I brought, again, were too big. If I just had little bead chain eyes, what I ended up tying was just small bead chain eyes on a small gamakatsu hook and a little bit of flash sticking out of the butt and then just a little itty-bitty piece of zonker. And the fish I did catch on the jetty were on the smallest flies I had. The jetty itself is about a foot wide and maybe goes 150 yards and then just turns into a giant pile of riprap, rocks, and boulders. Not a whole lot of people were fishing it, so I decided to walk out on it at low tide one day. It was very slippery and slick because it had all sorts of seaweed and plants growing on it. And about 20 feet off of that, there was another dark pile of rocks or structure I couldn't see. And I first start off barefoot, and it's just squishy and wet. And I remember when I was a kid, this is going into fifth grade, I stepped on a pencil urchin and it broke off in my foot on the reef outside my grandma's house. So I really don't like to go in the ocean barefoot. So I put my flip-flops on, and I slowly just shimmied my way out there, maybe 100, 150 feet. And that far-off pile of rocks, I'm stripping in, and I'm throwing 60 feet of line, double hauling, and it's maybe going 18 feet. This is afternoon, low tide, howling wind. When Alan said you need to be able to double haul into the wind and have line management, he wasn't joking. Every day the wind was very, very heavy. So I'm punching out line. It's not going anywhere. And I have this mottled brown and white fish, maybe about 14 inches long. Chase my fly and nothing. There's a whole bunch of smaller fish along the jetty. And this is the fishiest place I found. And then I decide that they're chasing a clouser that's about three inches long. Let me dig something out on a dropper. So I get these little bitty bonefish flies, maybe size six saltwater. And I start picking off pinfish. And I get a small blackfish, which looked like a juvenile baby grouper. That's all I can say. It fell off before I could land it. So I did get one picture holding a pinfish, and that's all I caught the whole trip. As soon as I figured this spot out, a pickup truck shows up behind me and gives me the and signals me, dude, get off the jetty. Now, if I was on shore, I probably would have looked at 
me and said, that's not safe being on that jetty. But it was only four feet at the most on either side of the jetty, crystal clear water. So now I've got to get off the jetty, and I'm walking a little bit faster, and then I slip. So I was safe walking to my own speed, but when I get busted and I have to get off, that's when I fell. And my first priority is hold on to your rod. Your backpack's not waterproof. It's got your keys, phone, wallet in it, and all your fishing gear. And then my flip-flop fell off. So I get my flip-flop on, grab the rod, lift my backpack up, and I'm, I mean, falling in, I'm only chest deep on my butt. I get out, and I walk up the beach, and I look down, and everything from my left kneecap to the tips of my toenails is covered in blood. I didn't feel it, but I scraped my knee, shin, and toes, and top of my foot all along that jetty, and whatever was on it, maybe barnacles, I don't know. But I was gushing blood everywhere. So now I'm like, well, I can't go back in the water and wade because I'm going to attract a shark and that might just endanger other folks. So I packed up and went back up the beach. But that jetty was the fishiest spot. And it's not very deep at high tide. Low tide was the only option when it was exposed and the fish were along that structure. I had no issues with eight weight line other than the wind howling. A 350 grain sink tip was fun, but roll casting that along piers at night when there's no back casting room was no fun. That's where I, I thought a sink tip would be better. Both reels performed awesome. The DXR, not sealed. Stuff gets in there every time you crank or peel line out. It just sounds like crud getting caught in there and scratching things up. The hatch reel performed like a beautiful, well-made sports car. No issues with that. Sealed drag, sealed knob, everything worked on it. No issues, no grit and grime in there. Just dunk it in a bucket of water and I was good to go afterwards. The rods, I had a Orvis Recon 8. An Orvis Clearwater 8, which I prefer the grip on that and fish that more than the Recon. Never really paid much attention, but I like the grip better on my old Clearwater. And then a TFO Lefty Cray, I don't know, BVK 8 weight. And that was it for gear. I didn't really bring a whole lot. I brought uh, my phone. I brought a GoPro, which I didn't use. I really only used a couple of flies. One night I lost three or four flies, I think on oyster beds, but that was it. Everyone said I should have been there a week ago. Also, at night, find streetlights. They came on about 20 minutes after sunset, and I was hoping that fish would congregate in that light and the bigger fish would be in the shadows. I stayed till maybe 9, 9.30 one night, good hour after sunset and nothing. So that's when I walked home on the beach, which was pretty cool. People had all these LED games on the beach, and there were people night fishing. It was pretty cool. Uh, the tides... Lower tide seemed better. Higher tide you know, always brings in more fish. But the, the spots I fished, the channel, the bottom of the island, and the channel leaving the top of the island, I think would be better on outgoing. Again, get there earlier when those fish are still up in those flat areas. And the wind was just howling. Early morning, fine. Noon, it starts blowing. One o'clock, that's kite weather, not fly fishing weather. I saw one other person there fly fishing the entire time. He said he saw a redfish at the spot we were fishing off the little fishing piers where the police boat was, but that was it. Sunset, our views were blocked by houses on the other side of Banks Channel, but every night we got a sundowner. 
I brought a bottle of aged Havana Club Cuban rum with some Mexican Coca-Cola and glass bottles. And then I made the ice cubes out of the Harris Teeter water so they weren't smelly. And I had myself a delicious rum and Coke the first two nights while we watched the sunset. And then I started fishing when the family would walk back up. I brought fishing gear with me everywhere. Going to get custard, bring the fishing gear because I didn't want to have to walk back. And there's just one main drag up and down the island. It's kids on skateboards, people running with dogs. And you couldn't tell that it wasn't Saturday on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. At night, walking back from the pier or from Coles, the same thing. It's just kids on skateboards, people on bikes, people with dogs. Always somebody out and about doing something. Super friendly people. Sunrise, we only got up once for it on Monday morning and just missed it. But the view of it coming up and through and over the Johnny Mercer fishing pier was pretty awesome. The other days, we just couldn't motivate to get up. We tried to sleep in a little bit since we didn't have to get the kid up for anything. So I'm going to have to say, get out early. Always be at a sunrise 20 to 30 minutes before it actually comes over the horizon because you get all that different light and photographic things. The only non-fishing, eating, beach activity or grocery shopping we did was the County Arboretum. The County Arboretum is near the Intracoastal Angler. They don't have fly time material, which is why I stopped in there. But they did let me put a sticker on the window. They also had nice selection of flies. So the County Arboretum is next to that. There's a koi pond. You can hang out and watch all these juvenile and big koi. There are little Japanese pagodas with Japanese-style flowers and plants. You've got a little fairy garden, hut house for kids. That was a cool thing to do, just a little different. We spent about an hour there. And parking on the island was limited on Sundays. On Sundays, they wanted to keep the western side or the down to the point of the island road clear. So you couldn't park on that side. Every meter had a red bag on it. I'm assuming that was just to keep more space for pedestrians. Parking on the streets, they're going to give you a ticket if you run out of your meter. 30 to $40 per day to park in a paid lot, which is just a parking lot or an empty, grassy, sandy lot on a street. We were seven houses from the beach, and we had two to three spots at our Airbnb. So luckily, parking was never an issue for us. Non-fish wildlife, my first time wading at the southern end of the island, there's junk in the water and minnows at my feet and lizard fish coming up and grabbing stuff. There were two things that swam up to me, and they were not fish. They looked like small pieces of broken off seagrass, about the diameter of a pencil, maybe three quarters of an inch long. And they were in unison, like two fighter pilots flying in formation. And they'd come up to me and dart to the side, and everything they did they were communicating with each other. Fish are not that smart to do what they were doing. I'm assuming they were baby cuttlefish. I used to see baby cuttlefish as a kid snorkeling at that reef in Florida, and I absolutely love them. They're super cute. So non-fish organisms are cuttlefish. Saw a couple cardinals. There were blackbirds and pigeons around the piers. Uh, ants. That really hot section of sand between... Henderson Street and the actual beach, that sand is about 150 degrees and there's ants walking around there. Every time you step, you'd kick a pile of hot sand on them and they look like they're getting pissed. There are a lot of Donax clams, D-O-N-A-X. These are small purple bivalves that wash up, I guess, when the wave comes and then they go down 
and my daughter was collecting them. They're super pretty, all different hues of pastels, pinks and purples, yellows and oranges combined. It was really cool watching them go into the sand. You got a couple of uh, sand crabs here and there. You can see holes where sand crabs were. When I was digging to catch a mole crab for my kid to play with, I ended up getting this really big, what I'm guessing is a great white shark tooth, and it is just over an inch, maybe an inch and a quarter, fossilized shark tooth, which was pretty darn cool, considering this has been my summer of collecting shark teeth. This thing is, is probably a couple million years old. It's pretty darn neat. There was one hermit crab I found walking back. I was dropped off on the southern end, fished for about an hour and a half. This is when I fell, busted up my left leg. And then I walked back in the 95 degree heat and I found a hermit crab in a shell and I just picked it up to show my kid, put it outside the door. It was there until the next day and then it moved at night. There were some huge roaches, I guess in palmetto bugs around. And then the shorebirds included gulls, laughing gulls, skimmers, oyster catchers, ospreys, terns, plovers, and sandpipers. And that is pretty much it for our trip to Wrightsville Beach. I gave you the two most fishy spots so you don't have to spend your days looking for places to fish. You're going to have to look at all of this on Google Earth. Definitely call Alan Kane if you want to hire a guide and go out. He said it was tough fishing that week while I was there too. It didn't rain down there, but it was the first time in July that it rained up here. Today is July 30th. We've only had one or two days in all of July that has not been 90 degrees here in Northern Virginia. Got a possible hurricane coming up at the end of this week, so we're going to have to track that. And I got to go pick my kid up. Hopefully you enjoyed my research and write-up of Wrightsville Beach. We had a great time. It was relaxing. The food was awesome. We stopped at the Nahunta Pork Center or Pork Outlet on the way back. It was not that far off the road. I only know about it from Vivian Howard. The only thing there that was not pig was the t-shirt and the barbecue sauce, which both of those could technically have pig in them. You walk into the store and the first thing you see is snouts and the last thing to buy at the register is the tail. I got my neighbor Don a Tom Thumb, which is ground pork and seasoning stuffed in a pig's pancreas. And I just know he likes to eat exotic things. I did not know he grew up eating those. So we might smoke that on the Traeger. I got three pounds, three and a half pounds of off-cut bacon. I got one pound of hickory smoked and then one giant three-pound pack of southern-style bacon. So last night we made smoked deviled eggs with some smoked bacon on there. The ride back was easy. We were able to stop off at Sub Rosa in Richmond to get bread for BLTs, which is why we got that bacon. Tomatoes will be ready in a couple days. And then got to stop off at Greentop and bought about six or seven ostrich plumes. So I'm going to tie up a bunch of damsels. We'll get those on Etsy. You can buy flies on Etsy, gar, snakehead, largemouth, smallmouth, steelhead, carp, trout, whatever. You can buy koozies to wear around your neck. You can hold your beer in them. There was one major problem with beer koozies, the metal Yeti ones in the tent. When the wind would blow, it would knock them over. So luckily, I brought some of my canyards with me. Wearing your beer around your neck, it doesn't spill when the wind blows. So that is episode 276. I hope to be driving up to Pennsylvania on Sunday to do an interview. And we'll get back into interviews hopefully soon. And I'm going to have another podcast more geared toward first-time anglers who are picking up fly rods during coronavirus. It is becoming a popular thing, just like biking and skateboarding. That is it for now. 
I'm going to go try and avoid the bears and collect some blackberries. After I recorded that first session, I was able to go pick up my daughter taking the shortcut to the pool. And I collected about two and a half pints of blackberries in the woods on the way down. Uh, I do know there was bears in there. And then a deer jumped out of the blackberries and scared me pretty darn good. Luckily, it wasn't a bear. So that's it. And I also wanted to say... A lot of kids riding and driving fancy boats down at Wrightsville Beach coming up to get ice cream and pizza and then taking the boats off. These kids did not look old enough to even be driving a car, let alone twenty dollars to $30,000 boats. So that was it. I'm done. Get my gear ready for this weekend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.